Hail and welcome to Circle Talk, a podcast for seekers, initiates and the curious by four Alexandrian witches with endless different opinions. We are your hosts. Hi, I'm Josie, a high priestess and coven leader near Melbourne, Australia. Hi, I'm G, a high priestess and coven leader from the New England area of the US. Hi, I'm James, a high priest and coven leader from just outside New Orleans, Louisiana. And hi, I'm Peter, a high priest and coven leader from South Wales. And we are a podcast where we talk about Alexandrian witchcraft and explore different opinions on how the Alexandrian tradition is practiced in various covens and around the globe. Listeners are reminded that while we are all initiates of the Alexandrian tradition, we only speak for ourselves and not for the tradition as a whole, which is an impossible thing to do. If you've been listening for some time, you know, you know the drill by now. This is episode 20, Sawain Sorcery, Binding and Banishing. Ooh. You may want to take a moment to pause and go back to listen to our introductory episodes, episode zero, Introductions, and episode one, Definitions, or check them out after you enjoy this one. Over the course of the last year, our Sabbath specials included overviews of how we each celebrated the wheel. And for this turn, we're going to explore different kinds of work into the spellcraft that are either associated with or best performed around each Sabbath. Now, that's not a hard and fast rule, as you're obviously welcome to practice witchcraft and perform magic whenever the need arises. But in these episodes, we'll outline what we think works effectively around each Sabbath and the particular time of year. Probably the most famous example of binding magic, air quotes, binding magic, that nearly all of our listeners and us as well as hosts will recognise comes from the movie The Craft, where Sarah binds Nancy from doing harm harm against other people and harm against yourself, whilst holding a picture of Nancy and wrapping white ribbon around it. I had to YouTube that bit as well, just to make sure that the color was correct. Is this all that binding magic really is? In which other ways can we use binding magic? And also leaving aside the fact that you have to wonder how successful this binding really was if Nancy was committed to a psychiatric hospital for having delusions about being able to fly, fly in ointment, more on that later. Another interesting example is the way in which he who must not be named binds pieces of his soul to objects called Horcruxes. Horcruxes, Horcruxi, Lammas teachers, we'll sort it out later. Where he who must not be named binds pieces of his soul to Horcruxes so that the Dark Lord can live on forever, which, depending on how you also see it, could be a curse. So with that said, today we're going to talk about magical hygiene. The relationship between binding and banishing at Samhain, binding magic, banishing magic, warding, and other types of nefarious, air quotes, magics. So, high five, get on the boom, and let's go, witches. So, if we just talk really quickly about um, magical hygiene, I don't think we've really covered this topic yet. I think we might have touched upon it. And um, just just a, a real quick reference to the Seeking Witchcraft podcast that Ashley has done. Um, they also have a really good episode on magical hygiene. But what do we mean, guys, when we talk about magical hygiene? So we get dirty in real life and in the unseen world as well. Just walking around, living your daily life. You brush up against crap and you want to get clean. Well, we're talking about that in a magical sense as well. Whatever layer or level of magic we're talking about. So magical hygiene is the process of taking your regular steps to get clean. It's no different than showering on a regular basis. Well, there are things that you do as a witch 
to just get the gunk that you've rubbed up against or stuck your hands in off of you. And I think that's a, that's an important part, isn't it? Because whenever we we think of working effective magic and effective witchcraft, I think a lot of us, one of the first things we'll do is we'll we'll have a bath, we'll have a shower, and we'll make ourselves physically clean and physically prepared before we set off to do the work, capital W. I was just going to say, it's also done before and after too. We wash our hands after we're done too. If you're done painting your picture, you wash off the paint and clean your clothes and your tools. Yeah, and make sure you don't drink from the paint water. One don't of the drink pe- the paint water, very don't important. Don't drink the paint water. One of the pieces of lore that was passed to me is, well, how does a witch, a witch count? Starting from zero. From zero. Yeah, from zero. So... If you're going to bring the space and yourself to zero, it requires a bit of magical cleaning or hygiene. Yeah, great. So let's move in, into the into the meaty bits of the podcast. So let's first of all talk about what what is binding. I think it's important that we define what we term as binding as people who practice British traditional witchcraft and obviously the flavour of Alexandrian witchcraft. So binding, at least for me, is the act of placing an impediment on something someone or even a location if we think back to the earlier example of the craft where a binding is done to a representation of a person in this case it's a picture but the act of binding is is just that it's placing something an impediment on something or someone or even a location now binding isn't necessarily always a negative thing it is restrictive but it can be both good and bad depending on what the binding is for it could be for a more negative impact or it could be for a good impact I think it can also just be to just put a pause on things and to make things stagnate or in a bad way or pause in a good way just to buy more time if you need to do that it can be used for growth ridiculously well you're creating a, a boundary in which to to fill up well you can't collect that what you're trying to collect without the boundary to begin with so sometimes it can be a very good thing depending on how you use it and approach it yeah definitely another way that we can use binding is maybe they can cause confusion and if you were going to use a spell in conjunction with that there's a famous Welsh one that gets banded around sometimes. So listen carefully at the pronunciation. I'm going to pronounce it for you here. Croydro a bado am oisoid lawer. Akam hob cam, camva. Am hob camva, codum. Am hob codum, toriaskur. Nid a raskun moyav nar theav. On askurn huil corn e udo bob tro. Which for those non Welsh speakers means may he wander for many ages and at every step a style. And at every style of fall, at every fall of broken bone, not the largest, nor the smallest bone, but the chief neck bone, ooh, every time. Now, that comes from um, a history of magic and witchcraft in Wales by Richard Sudget. Richard Sudget, I never know how to pronounce his last name, but we'll pop that reference in our show notes as well. But that's one that's always bounded around the internet. It comes from, I want to say it comes somewhere from North Wales around the time of Gwen Vergelis, who was one of the first people to be accused of witchcraft in Wales. And yeah, that can definitely cause confusion along with a binding as well. We touched upon it just now about how a binding can also be used for good. 
but it can also be used for protective magic as well. If there's somebody that's doing you harm, if you're going to work magic against them, and you're using a binder, then for you, that is obviously protect protective. We could get into the ethics of binding and banishing as well, but I think at the end of the day, that is for you, a listener, to decide upon because we're not going to sit here and say you can't do binding magic or you can't do banishing magic or you can't do warding magic because that's that's the black arts but that's not necessarily true i know a lot of us will talk about you know gun laws and 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 gun crimes and the gun in and of itself is not the bad tool if it's in the hands of the police and maybe this is a conversation for a different time but if it's in the hands of the police then it's it should, it's been used for good it should be used for good in other hands, obviously it could be used for bad. So we're not going to sit here at Circle Talk and say, no, you mustn't do binding magic or banishing magic. That is for you to decide. I will say that here in the US, we do not definitively assume that if it's in the hands of the police, then it's being used for good. Right. We, yeah. we feel pretty strongly <laughs> about that, many of us now. Yeah. I mean, I think that as a religion of witches, we don't, this is a much larger conversation, but I, I often feel that the ethics of actions are sort of up to the witches doing them because we don't have, it's hard to, to set up a concept of ethics and morals without having a formal society and so on and so on. So I think it does depend on what you think is necessary and what you're willing to yeah. sort of take on. Yeah, definitely. Um, But also how, what, in which other ways can we use binding magic? Well, if we're looking at using binding for healing where we talk about poppet magic when you make a poppet you are imbuing that poppet you are binding energy of the object which is a, it could be a person could be a place could be something else you're binding that energy to that poppet which can be used for healing many of our listeners will probably pop into their heads now with a what's it called a voodoo doll now the pop culture image of a voodoo doll is of somebody with big long pins sticking sticking into this into this poppet this voodoo doll but correct me if i'm wrong i'm almost sure that even voodoo dolls were supposed like originally in voodoo practices were to do with healing they originally don't come from voodoo that it was added in through influences of european ah. witchcraft so that's ah, a okay. us thing that they that's picked an up us thing sharing of the practices we like it along with poppet magic I'm sure we spoke about this in our last episode or in a previous episode where we talked about fetishes and fetches as well. When we create fetishes and fetches, it is a type of binding magic. Okay, and what about using binding magic with our tools? We mentioned in our last podcast where uh, we mentioned about tools and how we use tools and the tools that we might see in public rituals and public witchcraft spaces when we work with a tool over and over again, undoubtedly our energy and our magic will become bound to that tool. A tool, just as a reminder, is really just an extension of your own will as well. And when we use a tool, we build up a relationship with that tool. We are being bound to that tool. We bind our energy and our will to a tool. One of the witch's tools that we spoke about last time would have been uh, the one that begins with an A, whether it's an athme or a theme or a theme, whatever you guys want to call it. We spoke about the athme being one of like kind of the staples of public witchcraft. And 
if you're using anathema over and over again, you are definitely going to bind your energy to that tool and to that athame. And that kind of feeds back into what we say about not sharing tools as well. If you want to keep things fairly straightforward in terms yeah. of what's consecrated to who and what energy is being used, you just have one person handling the tools usually, or as few people as possible. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think do think often this is one of those things that sort of differs coven to coven. I believe we talked before about different covens sometimes having like a set of coven working. Oh yeah, in our last episode, the covens having like just a set of working tools that's for coven use mm -hmm. so that for those who don't want to, they don't share, you know, the use of their ritual tools. I've also known people who feel that strongly about sharing their tools, but their working partner and then like share tools, depending on how closely, you know, people might feel also like within a family people, you know, that that's like a shared energy. So yeah, it's interesting, but I suppose it comes back to the magical hygiene as well, isn't it? Like if you are working, if, if you as an individual are working with the tool and therefore you're binding your power and your will to that tool and you're, you're in indefinitely a public space a public space ritual you're not going to want people coming up to your tools just touching them willy-nilly again if you're working with somebody in coven then maybe that perfect love perfect trust is a little bit more built up and you're like yeah it's fine you know you can you can touch my tool not those kind of tools but you can touch my tool and yeah i i don't see it necessarily as a bigger problem within coven as it would be if we were working a public ritual it's funny because i we had an inset day a training day a couple of weeks ago in school and i had my my third degree uh, necklace on and somebody came up to me and said oh that's nice and touched it and i was like oh no <laughs> no 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 touching no touchy no touching. no no so no simple don't, don't touch people don't, don't touch, touch people don't touch people's shit don't touch no. people's jewelry no touchy no touchy this is like the first thing i teach that would also kind of be a fun episode is just like the do's and don'ts of like etiquette but because i love teaching etiquette because i feel strongly about it but like it's one of my first like rule number one is don't be an asshole but rule number two is like don't touch people's shit very easy yes it's very pretty stare from afar well coming back to tools it's an interesting thing to consider especially depending upon what you're doing, you may want to purposely keep your relationship with your tool in mind and not bind the association with that tool too tightly because, well, magical hygiene, you want to release that relationship when you're done with what your working is. So it just depends. Sometimes you gotta remember, a tool needs to remain a tool and no greater association. I'm also thinking about, and we ended mm -hmm. up not talking about this in our tools episode, so we're doing an addendum, which is there are folks who are very deeply in the closet or folks who, you know, this is not Wicca per se, but people who practice, quote, kitchen witchcraft or whatever, who have to multi-use their tools. They can't set aside or hide or whatever, or choose not to, um, because that's a functional part of their practice. And so obviously the way that they consecrate or bind those tools is going to be quite different yeah definitely and just coming back to binding as well a, a binding could also be seen as a promise to do something when we're talking about binding magic we are almost saying i'm going to follow this through normally a binding isn't just for a couple of minutes 
or a couple of hours. Binding magic normally lasts for days or weeks or for a moon cycle. And as witches, we have to, it's kind of like what James just said, we have to hold that in our minds and we, we almost have to feed into it and we have to give it that energy constantly. So when we're talking about binding, it can almost be seen as, as a promise to follow through in, in what we're binding as well. In this case, you know, in terms of like initiation or oath-taking sort of also falls under this, this idea. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and talking about initiation, we've mentioned this in a previous podcast as well, but the oath is also a binding a binder kind of like a binding contract like we we spoke about the public version of an not the but an oath in uh, the father's witch's bible and when you take that oath you are you are binding yourself to those words which which went something along the lines of keeping secrets the craft and and what you're taught and names and teachings and all of that jazz you are binding yourself willfully to the secrets of the coven and i suppose going back to you know whether binding is is good or bad in a way that is that is a good binding hopefully people keep their oaths and if they don't that's another conversation it's also part of one of the reasons why i still emphasize the hand copying of the boss it is binding a relationship between the copier and the group mind or egregore of the practice i think voluntary bindings are a really interesting thing because you take you take an oath ideally with full conscientiousness of what you're binding yourself to of the consequences that you're signing up for of the agreement that you're making same with hand copying the book but there are certainly times that we voluntarily bind ourselves to things or to people and those i think are even more powerful for the fact that you have assented to all that that entails this is a big thing that came up during before I was Wiccan in another life, I uh, was involved heavily in heathenry. But like oaths are very important, and at certain times of the year, you would make oaths about what you're going to do for the rest of the year, and that kind of fed into everything we did. And it was a big thing not to promise to do something or to put your name to something unless you were sure you were going to do it. Yeah, your word became really important. That's something that's carried into my Wicca for sure. The geesh, the taboo. And Irish mythology is a, and it's placed upon someone. So it is taboo for you as an individual to do the following. So it's like a binding. That is one of those words that I only ever see in print and have never been 100% sure how to say. And then keep hearing in audiobooks and it's said differently every fucking time. My favorite, I think, is maybe there's one where people say it and it sounds like geese. And I'm like, that can't be right. And then geish. And I'm like, well, where is that coming from? So thank you for that, James, because now I know how to say G-E-A-S, theoretically. That's because they're always normally pronounced by people who do not speak that language. Oh, obviously. It's, it's exactly the same with Khmer, with, yeah. with Welsh. But it would be really nice if they would do their homework before recording. It's because there's this, there's a a bit of dialect, depending on where you're at. Geish, geish. And to an English speaking ear, it may fluctuate to one sound or another. But that's the way I picked up. And the Kanak dialect is more what I focus on. If you promise geese to somebody, that's a very different type of curse. Very specific. (laughs) but very effective (laughs) a flock of geese roll up into your bedroom 
That's that's a very bad curse. I don't know. That's a Canadian bless curse. You. I bless you with geese. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a curse. <laughs> Eight geese, nine geese laying. No, that... we're not having anything to do with Christmas or Yuletide or winter okay. solstice. Gee, in there... this podcast, it's October. There is that really great episode of The Office where somebody gifts like every single thing from the 12 days of Christmas and it's hysterical if you haven't seen it you should watch it yeah we can take this out this is very off topic but it's hysterical no keep it in (laughs) the geese of the goddess upon them (laughs) for bringing it up too early (laughs) Hong Kong motherfuckers oh god this is this has gone south really quickly (laughs) it's early we're visiting you Josie it was me sorry okay let's let's go back let's go back to binding so what other ways can we bind so there's a handful of notes i wrote regarding binding that came to my mind when i was thinking about ways that binding can take place that i have personally done that are outside of the norm wrapping uh representation etc it can be used to catch energy specifically hurricane rolls through louisiana i want to save some of that for later so gonna catch some yeah it can be used to hold spirits you take some lead drop their sigil in it you're binding a spirit you Mm -hmm. there's other work involved with that what are you binding them for what are you binding them against what are you binding them from usually influence in your life but yeah do that i've consecrated one of my statues using a binding Mm -hmm. so i tied a cord to it in a way that would be very familiar to initiates prior to leading it through a consecration slash familiar-ish ritual inspired by the same. It's the best I can give in this form. Threshold of the circle. Yeah, it can be used as cursing. You want to pin them down before you stab them. Mm. So there's some imagery for you. Sometimes you want to completely avoid binding there's a spell in modern magic where he talks about uh, empowering and calling up a part of yourself separate from you before you bind it why did you empower this thing that wasn't empowered before don't do that Mm. just know you give energy and power to something that didn't have it beforehand regardless of your intent to bind afterwards you made a small problem a mountain Mm -hmm. now you've got to deal with it yes yeah there's a technique that i was taught by another witch if you have things that go bump in the night, one of the ways in order to rid those bumps in the night, so those noises, those those poltergeist, is to take a little little jam jar. You know the little the little tiny jam jars that you can buy that come in like packs of three. Eat the jam, obviously get rid of the jam first. Have it on toast, whatever you want to do, and fill it with salt. Add a drop of of your own blood, which attracts the spirit to it, and then seal that with uh, with melted wax and you know say something as you're as you're doing it something with intent seal the jar and then that entity that spirit is supposed to be caught bound within that little spell jar i think you know there's a nuance here between spells of attraction and spells of binding as well right because there are various jar magics that are done as spells of attraction that are not necessarily the same as spells of binding even though a lot of times jar spells do end with a ceiling, like a closure and a ceiling, but the intent is quite, yeah. and I really don't want to get into a debate about whether or not intention 
means anything or is anything at all. But these are two different kinds of magics using mm. a similar magical technique, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting that that crossover. It's almost like a Venn diagram, isn't it, with two circles. And then in the middle is kind of the same outcome. So we've touched upon a few ways of how a binding could work. Do we have any other ideas about how bindings could work? Now, the only other information that that I'd like to share with everybody and our listeners is that sometimes you might come across um, the word taglock, T-A-G-L-O-C-K. Now, a taglock is normally a physical thing of something of like the object of that's being bound, whether that's nail clippings, hair, brick dust, wood from the beams of a house. We will normally use those in a binding magic as an actual layer of thought, of meditation, in order to solidify, yet yeah, this is what the binding is for, we will use those tag locks as well. Okay, so let's move on to our, our next bit of bulk of our podcast. So we've spoken about binding, what about banishing? So binding and banishing are kind of, well, I say kind of, not always, but they're kind of uh, linked together as well. So a banishing is normally sending something away that you don't want or need. Now, a good example of this is where we spoke about in our last episode about tools. When we use knives and we use the athame or the bowline as well, the white handled knife. I know James mentioned in our last podcast on the tools about there is a reason why an athame has to have a certain amount of steel. I think it was James, you said steel in it. Iron. 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 Iron, that's it. And one of the reasons that an anathema or a magical knife has a certain amount of iron in it is because iron is abhorred by spirits, good spirits and bad spirits. And when we are using an anathema or a bowline, bowline, however you want to pronounce it, white-handled knife, we are kind of casting away, banishing away anything that could cause our effective magic to not be effective. There are reasons why we will sometimes use a wand, which is normally made, well, made of wood instead of anathema. Like if he was to go out into a woods or into the forest or into a place of nature and you are brandishing a tool which has iron in it, you're not necessarily gonna get the best work in if you're working with the fae or you're working with nature spirits, which is why we will use the wand. It's like rulership of a kingdom. In one hand, you have the ability to offer diplomacy and work with, and in the other hand, you have the ability to wage war. And the those two tools often can be used in similar manners. Mm. Not always. There are other ways to use them, but I think that's a good example. Yeah, definitely. Like my suggestion is if you're going to be working outdoors and you want to specifically work with nature spirits, spirits of the land, use, use a wand. Or, or use your fingers, you know, that, that's my best suggestion. Another way to incorporate banishing into your ritual practice and your ritual work is going back to magical hygiene when we use the, the besom or a broom to sweep negative energy away. Now, I've always got to stop and think. Sunwise, sun so when we're sweeping in the circle, we will normally sweep sunwise, or we'll sweep from the east direction to the west direction sweeping out all of that negative energy as another layer of magical hygiene, purifying 
and consecrating the space before we actually start working. So many witches as well will use the four elements in their practice of uh, northeast, southwest, or earth, air, fire, and water. Another way of banishing is by using the elements. When we talk about consecrating tools or spaces, it's quite common for eclectic witches and BTW witches to use the elements within their practice in order to have another clear and another banishing of the ritual space as well. And I know that James has already mentioned that witches work from zero. We don't work from one. When we are preparing a ritual space in ourselves, we always work from zero. So we sweep the circle space with, with the broom. We will use the elements in order to clear out anything else as well. And not wanting to get too deep into ritual magic, we can also use the Kabbalistic cross. We could use the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram as well. There are lots and lots of things and lots and lots of ways that we can banish any negative influences which we don't want mingling in with the power that we make within circle but when I was practicing witchcraft when I was younger like you do don't you, you go onto YouTube you, you type in pagan songs and one of the songs that came up was the the mirror spell or, or the binding song and obviously we're not going to play it here for you now but if you, we'll link it into the notes as well but it's really catchy it I think it uses a lot of the rune the, the, the darksome night that one it uses a lot of that symbolism and it is just really nice it's a nice chant to use as well when you're banishing if you want to incorporate it into a circle dance or even prior to casting circle but yeah go go take a listen and also just because it's Samhain and we haven't really mentioned Samhain yet but if you're looking for more Samhain and meditative songs I would personally recommend Samhain by now I Again, this kind of links back to what you were saying earlier, G, about how, how do I pronounce that word? So I've always said Dab, D-A-N-H, but I know it's not. It's Dave. It's Dave the Bard. But I always said Dam the Bard. Dam the, Dave the Bard has a song called Samhain. YouTube it. And a personal favourite of mine, which is Ungamraig in Welsh, is Angai by Sean James, which means death. And in it, Sean sings and talks about wanting to kind of evade death and escape death. But it's a really nice song to listen to, whether you're in circle. Again, I can I can post the lyrics and I'll post the English version of the lyrics as well in the in the notes. But yeah, some really nice songs they saw. Mirror Spell or Binding Spell, Samhain by Dave the Bard and Angai, A-N-G-A-U by Sean James. Just a note for English speakers looking at Irish. If you ever see an H in the word, the letter before it does not sound the way it does in English. That H no. indicates that the link that the letter modifies the sound. That's how come the M in DAV mutates mm. from an M sound to more of a VB-ish sound, depending on the dialect. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Can we talk about the murder of whatever bird it is that you have in your yard right now, James? It's very <laughs> sowany. That's a crow. There's yeah. a family of them that live outside my window. Yeah. They're not a murder uh, of ravens. There's a murder outside my window right now. Uh, having it fun. sounds like a murder. <laughs> it does. Oh, uh, a group of ravens is called an unkindness. Oh, I love that when we record these, we always get like the background noises from where James lives, whether it's like birds 
or cats as well. We love the cats when we can hear the little bells going. And I love it. I love it. And James I purposely has got a whole ecosystem. And I purposely yeah. moved locations so you wouldn't <laughs> hear my pets. And apparently the outdoor critters have conspired against me. I worry sometimes that one day we're gonna hear what a croc sounds like or a gate that sounds like and we're gonna go run. <laughs> <laughs> there are no crocodiles near my house. I would have to well, drive for hours. I, and they I don't wasn't... make any noise. I wasn't talking about you, Josie, because you you schooled you schooled me last time about the difference between alligators and crocs. And I'm like, I don't care. They're long and they all have teeth and they all want to eat you. <laughs> I think the closest crocodile, uh, not crocodiles, American crocodiles live in Florida. However, American alligator, which is here as well as in Florida, um, I'd have to drive half an hour to an hour to the Pearl River or Bayou Lacombe or somewhere like that. There's there's none here. But the only noise alligators make is there's a, I don't know, a rumbling that they can make as a threat to other males. It's kind of a ratchety sound, isn't it? It's, it's, it's hard to describe. Yeah. It, it's a result of vibrating in the chest and the water making noises when they do it. It's almost like some ritual stuff that we do. If Maybe. we ever get a theme song, we'll incorporate alligator and crocodile sound. <laughs> Maybe the alligators are all fighting. They all know that there's brasso nearby. And the males are just like, stay away from my brasso. Stay away. There it is again. I'm going to get it in every single podcast. We haven't had a reference to practical magic yet. That should have been my first go to. Well, I was going to mention it when we talked about banishing because it's a craft for for binding. So with with banishing, like obviously there's that key scene where they they banish and like spoiler alert in case you haven't seen this movie from 1994, but they banish the the bad spirit out of the ex-boyfriend. They also perform a binding in the self-same scene i mean in this case they mm. bind and then banish because first they have to bind her within the circle hold her within the mm-hmm. circle to hold the spirit there and then they banish him with some really interesting bell work and potion squitty cream so, yeah squitty cream oh i don't i don't i don't like that language at all that's a horrible <laughs> language for that <laughs> why would you ever say that and there you go listeners <laughs> The Brasso and the Practical Magic references come up again. Squirty cream. <laughs> squirty cream, yeah, they use a kind of squirty cream, don't they? Yeah, the squirty cream on the chest. Whipped cream. Yeah. It's whipped cream. We don't no, it's, call it's it. not. It's no, it's not whipped cream. because it comes from a can. We, 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 have to stop. we have to stop before we get in an argument about biscuits <laughs> or chips and fries. We say, and... we say squirty cheese for the cheese that comes in a can. But oh no, we don't I'm have things we, they can because we don't eat it. Gross. I'm just saying it's a thing. Yeah, oh, it is very gross. Don't. That's eat a it. different part of the movie though, when they use the squirty cream to draw the pentacle on his chest. But that's different from the circle binding of the. That um, is, yeah. And that like giant cauldron of disgustingness that they pour over his. Uh, well, this has been fascinating. What a learning experience for all of us. <laughs> I feel like Welcome we've got now. This is good. We're in the we're in the zone now. <laughs> So just to just to get it back to like the talking of the podcast. So so far we've discussed binding and we've discussed um, banishing. Let's move on to warding because I think those three again we're adding another circle into this Venn diagram, like banishing, binding, and warding. 
are all kind of nice things to talk about at Samhain. So what what do we mean when we talk about warden? Now, when we talk about banishing, we're we're getting we're getting something away. We're sending something away. When we talk about warden, we're normally talking about keeping something out or possibly keeping something in. Now, as witches, many of us will be familiar, or, or at least from pop culture, will be familiar with uh, warding with iron nails or sigils at the perimeters of our houses or around something, maybe an altar. Just talking about sigils as well. When we're talking about warding, keeping something in, and we're using protective sigils, lots of ceremonial magicians and, and witches who are of that flavour will use the key of Solomon pentacles and I'm sure that we've spoken about flash paper where you you light you light the paper and it kind of goes that's a really nice symbolism as well if you were to draw or even print off because hey we live in the 21st century print off a load of those sigils on flash paper and then burn them at the at the corners or the perimeters of your house is one way of of putting up putting up a ward as well now another way which is quite popular amongst a lot of witches is to use witch bottles and witch balls as protection a witch bottle is normally a wide neck bottle and, and it's, it's wide neck because you need to put things into it if you're thinking oh i've got loads of wine bottles hanging around the house it is difficult to put things yeah. into a, a, a thin neck bottle Erlenmeyer flask this is is not it you need something a solid solid like a, jar size yeah yeah like jars that like curry comes in or like the ones you can buy from the supermarket which has which is already made like the sauces any of those kind of jars work work really really well and in those jars you will put all manner of things nasty such as sharp objects or pins or nails or broken glass sometimes urine sometimes blood sometimes hair anything which will again bind you as the practitioner to that spell what you would then do is you would bury that witch bottle now there's different schools of thoughts you can either bury it on your property you can bury it in the hearth if you have access to a, to a hearth or you will bury it somewhere away from your property and the idea of, of a witch bottle is if somebody is going to psychically or magically attack you or your property or your loved ones, that that witch bottle will kind of catch it and deflect it back at whoever's sending that negative energy. There's so many folkloric links to witch bottles too is what I kind of like about them. It's an old idea. Yeah. It's folk magic from Europe. It's one of the few folk magics of yeah. Europe that made its way over to Australia. There's an entire team of researchers who are pulling witch bottles out of houses currently and finding them and, and writing about them came over with nice. Irish and English and Welsh immigrants to Australia yeah I mean it's it's one of those things that I think many seekers of witchcraft and even initiates is one of the first things that is suggested not that practicing witchcraft is going to necessarily open you up as a beacon on the astral plane to all these nasties but I think learning about warding and banishing and binding i think a witch bottle kind of encapsulates all that into one as well as witch bottles we can have witch balls as protection no laughing guys for witch balls it's really similar to a witch bottle and you can get 
like the blank Christmas baubles that you can buy and open up and then seal. If you wanted to create nice decorative ones that you wanted to put on to a Yule tree as well or a winter solstice tree, you can paint the insides black or any other colour and hide protective herbs in those and no one ever needs to know the difference. You could even put sigils like from the Key of Solomon in those balls and they could be used as another form of protective magic and herbs so, that we could had. Oh, go on, James. So here across the south, uh, southern United States, and I'm not sure if it's spread outside of there, there's a bit of folk magic that often masquerades as yard art called a bottle tree. <clears throat> and so what there is is there's a frame often made of metal, but sometimes it might be just parts of an actual tree where decorative bottles, blue, green, other various colors are inverted on pegs so that they stick up and it looks like the leaves of the tree are made mm. from bottles. Well, the lore associated with this is wandering spirits get trapped in the bottles because they go up in the neck and because glass is a liquid, they can't pass through it. Like, you know, spirits can't cross running water, that kind of idea. And so it's a local form of warding that exists in our, our local folklore and folk magic. Interestingly, one of my previous priests took this idea and uses the window panes of his house as wards that he sets uh, up as barriers. Nice. Using the whole running liquid idea. That's a really interesting idea. I like that. I was thinking when you said that, like the narrow neck bottle, I was like, oh, it's like a fruit fly trap where they can get in, but then they can't get out because um, like if you put a little bit of liquid in the bottom of your spirit trap, like some apple cider vinegar, do they just get stuck there and they can't crawl up the sides and drown? I just really quickly as well wanted to mention some protective herbs, which people can fill their witch bottles with or their, their witch balls, things like mugwort and sage and vervain and rosemary and rue are all really nice protective herbs. You could even go as far as to make a decoction or a wash with those herbs where you steep them in water and you could wash down the windows of your house, the doors of your house, the floors as well. Again, that's that, that's kind of another clearing, another way of clearing and warding your, your home. You could even wash your magical uh, tools in them as well, like like your athame would like your one, maybe not so much because obviously it'll, it'll seep in. Just don't like don't submerse it, maybe. But if it's metal or glass, yeah, go for it. Kind of wash it down. So we've spoken about banishing, we've spoken about binding, we've spoken about warding. But why, why at Sawin? Why at Kalangayav? Well, it is the start of the witch's new year, so why not? I mean, if we're talking about banishing things and binding things and warding things then at the start of the witch's new year or even if you want to do it you know towards the actual air quotes new year maybe like the 31st of december or the first of january why not do some banishing work why not do some binding work or why not do some warding work the energies and magics of Samhain lend themselves well to all these things think of it like magical hygiene and magical housekeeping yeah i say i think any kind of renewal pretty much i would say from mid-september through the 31st of december maybe even through 12th night honestly maybe even through like three kings day 
is a pretty solid time for like renewals, setting up new systems, getting rid of things, leaving aside the fact that seasonally we're not all in the same place. As we've talked about before, you have a lot of different holidays all happening culturally, globally, that are set up around renewal, starting over at this time of year. So you can kind of like ride the back of those energies. Plus we've got literally the new year, regardless of if it's like right around the height of your summer or the height of your winter, this is like on our calendar year, the new year. Plus those of us in the new hemis Northern hemisphere, this is the start of the new school year. So we tend to be, have a lot of energy. Uh, those of us who are, have tied our lives to academics start there. So I, I agree that this is a really good Anytime in this few months span, I think you can do a lot of these magics. Yeah, definitely. What other, what other kind of magics and workings and rituals can we do around Samhain? I think one of the first things that comes to my mind is when we think about Samhain and we think about what happens at Samhain with the death of the god, we can take a, a journey to Anun or the other realms or the underworld. And whenever I think about this kind of journey, I always refer back to Lifting the Veil by Janet Farrar and Gavin Bone. They have quite a nice meditation or guided visualization where you go down into the underworld, into Anun, and you meet one of the dark goddesses or one of the dark gods or whichever dark spirit. And I say, I when I say dark, I don't mean like dark as in negative, but I mean kind of those chthonic deities, those underworld deities and energies. If anybody has that book, then yeah, there's some lovely rituals in there to practice. Don't necessarily go out and buy all the recommendations that we give you because you're just going to inundate yourself with books. And my book pile, I think the same as G's, James and Josie's book pile is never ending because we talk all the time and we're like, what are you reading? What are you, What's on your pile now? And it's I think I've got like, yeah, I think I've got just from talking to you guys, like seven books on the go and I'll be like oh I'll just I'll pick into this one today oh we've got a podcast coming up I'll read this book so moving into this time of year just a quiet time of year for us after Salen leading into Yule but speaking from a analogy kind of way and magic to use during this time of year yes descent to the underworld but also shadow work facing your ego doing things with the dark night of the soul on purpose can be part of an important thing that you then combine later in your rebirth of the sun and renewal and tending mm. and so on and so forth. So you can work it into this whole cycle. And yeah. that's kind of what Samhain marks the beginning of for us. I was going to say equinoctial transitions, seasonal transitions this time of the year for those of us who are celebrating it as a major turning within point, working with psychopomp deities as well, or utilizing psychopomp deities or meditations around them to do internal work is also really important. Deities who, who will travel with you and guide you who you can call upon to help you be more reflective so just now while thinking about all this yes three of us are going into Samhain but Josie is not Beltana is on the horizon and I was thinking about well we think about that and binding magic as it relates to Beltana do the ribbons on the maypole constitute a form of binding mm -hmm. maybe 
depends what color they are, I guess. This is also <laughs> a major flaw in our plan of using the next wheel of the year to talk about magics that are associated with that Sabbath because, fame on me, it never occurred to me that no, we were because really only you, talking you, about Samhain magic. I'm sorry, Josie. You, but you get the flip, so we can poke both. Yeah, but we didn't. <laughs> we didn't plan for it at all. I, I assume Josie is ready. She should have we have us. talked about this in the Sabbath episode that we talked about it being two sides of the same coin. And yes, it's Beltane here, but it's like looking through the mirror, I guess, in a lot of ways. We have that fizz and that really that building up of energy. And these can all be directed at some of these concepts, albeit in a different way, often in a much more productive, abundant kind of a way. But right. doesn't mean I'm not going to curse a bitch at Beltane. Then there's the sacred marriage, marriage to the land. Those are forms of Findings binding. Well. And so there's there's a lot there as well. It's not Samhain exclusive. Yeah, Josie, just like, all of you talk about Samhain. I'm here celebrating Beltane. Let me have my say. It's fine. I'll be at the beach in a few months and you guys will be free. I'll say. That's true. <laughs> that nice. is true. Sorry, Josie. So yeah, going and journey into Anun or to the Underworld, working with like Catholic deities like the Crone, also revering and honouring the ancestors at uh, Samhain. And also Beltan as well. We're not going to forget Beltan. Is, that's a really nice practice as well when we're honouring and remembering those that have gone before us. But I suppose also that those that will come as well. Something that I like to work with around Samhain in my personal practice are herbs, which I will link with Samhain, such as the Saturnian herbs like Henbane and Belladonna and Foxglove. I mentioned earlier about uh, the, the flying ointment. Now, traditionally, you would use herbs such as Henbane and Belladonna in a flying ointment because they contain certain alkaloids and not a lot of witches but I know at least a good handful of witches that will use some sort of flying ointment as their regular practice in order to get them into that meditative state. Uh, a less poisonous, and I put poisonous in air quotes, a less poisonous version would use mugwort because there is a compound called thujone in mugwort, which when you extract it has that, it has an effect on the body, which is kind of trancing and, and and meditative as well but i'm all for using the flying ointments whether it's a sabbat or an espat or a moon working it doesn't really matter because i just love the flying ointments so i think that just about brings us to the end of of this of this podcast so as a closing thought sawin can be the perfect time to banish bind and ward take stock of what you have as we're in the throes of winter at the time of sawin the god dons his robes of change guised as death do not fear when you feel his cold touch, as change isn't always necessarily something negative. Samhain and the winter can be a time of uncertainty for many, so remember to lock the doors, batten down the hatches, both physically and magically, and take care of yourselves. As a reminder, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as Circle Talk for Witches, that's the number four, on Twitter as Circle for Witches, or you can email us at circletalkforwitches at gmail.com. If you have any questions or queries or thoughts or ideas for future discussions, please, please, please do get in touch. We love to hear from you. From all of us here at Circle Talk, Merry Meet, Merry Part, and Merry Meet Again.